This is Pastor Chad. Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We are honored that you have joined us today. You can stay up to date with us at BethesdaChurch.tv or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. Now, let's jump in to today's message. Today we are in between series. We finished up When Hell Freezes Over last Sunday, and then we kick off at the movies next Sunday. So today I have a word for you, and I'm not really interested in sermonizing or giving you several points, but I do feel I have a word from God for you. Anybody want to hear a word from God? That's, that's all that I can share with you. Um, I want to call the message, Put the Word in Your Mouth. Put the word in your mouth. Hit somebody close to you and tell them, put the word in your mouth. John's gospel, chapter number one, starting in verse number one. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of man, or the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Hit somebody close to you and tell them real quick, one more time, put the word in your mouth. Now, as we dive into this, how many of you understand God's word is alive? All right, his word is alive. Jesus is the word, but we know that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. There is, when it comes to the word, it's translated two different ways. There is the logos of God, that is the written word. Anybody thankful for the written word that we have the freedom to open it up, read it, right, and get the word? That that is the logos or the written word of God. But it's also translated as rhema. And the rhema is when the word of God moves from the written form to a now word from God. It's when God speaks to you. How many of you believe that God still speaks today? In 2021, that God still speaks. That's the rhema of God. Now, Jesus said that we are not to live by bread alone but by every word, watch this, that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which means that God is still speaking, and we don't live just by the written word, but we also live 
by the spoken word or the rhema word or the now word of God in the present tense. It means that there is a right now word from God. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says that the word of God speaks, that the word that God speaks is alive and that it's full of power. And, and, and that, that can be translated as active, as operative, energizing, and effective. Many times the difference between victory and, and defeat is one word from God. That one word from God can turn your life around. One word from God can turn your family around. One word from God can put favor on your life and God can begin to bless you in an unprecedented type of way. That one word from God many times is the difference between victory and deceit or, or, or defeat. The Bible says this, there is no, uh, where there is no prophetic utterance, this is Proverbs 29, or word from God. If we don't have a word from God, the Bible says the people run wild. That, that they, they lose control without a word from God. In other words, if we do not hear from God, it affects us in a negative way. We not only need to hear what God has said, but we need to know what God is saying. And just let me stand up on my soapbox for a moment and say, we got a lot of people that know what Fox says and CNN says and CSNBC says and what the latest COVID reports are. But I want to know who has a word from God? Who, who knows what God is saying in the, I'm telling you, I'll start pre, I'll kick something in a second. I'm so tired of hearing what everybody has to say about the news and this and that. When's the last time you heard from God? When's the last time you got a now word from God? It's so important that we hear from God in the present tense that we can see it in scripture when Abraham was taking his promise, Isaac, up on the mountain to worship. He was obeying God. He heard from God. Take your son on the mountain and offer him there. That was a word from God, a now word. He's obeying it, but thankfully Abraham was able, he was still open to hear God again because on the top of the mountain when he was about to kill his son and offer him, he was open to hearing God speak again and had he not uh, heard God speak again, Isaac would have been dead and it, it caused me to wonder, I wonder how many dead promises we have laying all around us because we're not open to hearing what God is saying in the moment. That one word from God can turn some things around. Um, the Bible says that you and I, Jesus taught the principle, we must press ourselves into the kingdom. That the kingdom of God wants to come into the earth. God wants his kingdom, his, his rule and his reign to come into the earth, but it comes into the earth through the local church, but also through the body of Christ. And we have to press our way into the kingdom, which means there is resistance when we try to operate in the kingdom. That, that, that's why we got to press. There, there's resistance when we stand up for God. And in the kingdom, the, the student has to be as active as the teacher. In other words, this isn't all of us sit around in a spiritual lazy boy, but this is us participating and what the teacher is doing, that as students, we're going to invest ourselves into the kingdom. Because here's the importance. It's hard for me to place a demand on the kingdom if I'm not invested in it. And a lot of people are demanding something from the kingdom that they are not invested in. 
Some people act like the kingdom of God is not working for them. But the question is, is when is the last time you invested in it? And you holding that chair down is not an investment. I didn't say that in the first service. But, but your, your, your contribution to the kingdom is not holding that chair in place. That we have to have some skin in the game. That if we want to put a demand on the kingdom for breakthrough in our lives, then we got to invest in the kingdom. I said this on first Wednesday just a few days ago, but it's worth repeating. We have to be willing to sow or invest into the move of God. And that means financially, but that also means with our time, our prayer, our service, the way we treat it. We have to sow into the kingdom of God. The problem is, is that some people eat more than they plant. So we want something out of it, but we don't want to sow anything into it. And, and, And here's the thing. A lot of people are wishing and hoping God would move. I wish God would move in our nation. I wish God would move in our county. I wish God would move in my family. I just hope God moves. But did you know the kingdom of God is voice activated? That God sets things into motion through words. That's why I said put the word in your mouth. It's great that I got a word to preach to you, but unless that word translates and that word is now in your mouth, it may not help you. The Bible says, be not hearers only, but doers of the word. And, and the kingdom of God is voice activated. Some things will never happen until you speak them. It's a principle all throughout the word of God. In the beginning, God said, and it was. That's how God designed the kingdom. Words set things into motion. The first purpose of words, though, was not for communication. The first purpose of words was for creation. God spoke when no one was there to hear it because he understood that words are not only for communication, words are for creation. And right now there is life and death in your words. And you are living in in a world that you have created with the words that you have spoken. How many believe that life and death are in your tongue? There's some, listen, there's some people I can't hang out with. My back hurts and my wife don't like me and my kids are mean. They're like the devil. I hate my boss. Dude, like I need a break. Because you are living in the creation of what you have spoken. God God spoke when no one was there to to hear it, and he said, let there be, whether that be light or anything else, and it was. So it's the nature of God to say something and then cause the fabric of the universe to respond to what he said to bring it to pass. Now, if you've been in church very long, you know some of this, but you've got to say something by faith to set something in motion. And in the Old Testament, this concept was so powerful that they... If they didn't have a word of God, they would go find one. Like if they didn't know what God wanted them to do, they would go and turn the city upside down to find someone who could hear and speak on behalf of God. They would go and ask, has anyone heard from God? 
They would, they, many times they would not go into battle unless God gave them the word to go. They would ask questions. David said, God, should I pursue my enemies or should I wait to pursue? Should we go into battle or should we wait before we go into battle? Should we stand still or should we move forward? They were so serious about hearing from God. And I think we, we are living in a culture where people are extremely serious about the latest COVID numbers and health departments and, and CNN and Fox and what's going on globally. And we're in tune with that. But I just wonder if there's anybody in tune with the Holy Spirit, in tune with what the Father is saying in this season. So that we when we show up, we're not showing up with thus says Fox. We are showing up with thus says the Holy Ghost. This thus says God. Here's what God wants to do in this season. Put the word, man, I am preaching, ain't I? Put the word in your mouth. King Ahab in the Old Testament, he hated the prophet Elijah. He hated him. And part of the reason he hated him so much was because Elijah said to the king and to everybody, he was like, um, it's not going to rain again. Until I tell it to. I mean, no, that's that's pretty bad dude right there. And and so it it really aggravated the king. He was really upset that Elijah could make a decree that it's not going to rain, and it, the heavens were shut up for three and a half years. But eventually, the famine got so bad that this king Ahab, who hated Elijah, said, "Go get me the guy I hate." because I need to hear a word from God. I hate that joker, but I need him to come and speak on behalf. I need him to show up and say, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And, and so this concept was so powerful that even evil kings who did not like the prophet of God would sin for the prophet. We see within scripture that when the famine hit the land of, of that time, that the famine was so severe that they were eating donkey's head. Y'all remember, I wrote about this in, in my book. If you haven't picked it up, you need to pick it up. They were eating donkey's head, they were eating dove's dung, and they were eating their children. Now, how I many that's a bad famine. That's a bad famine. Donkey's head speaks to us of our stubbornness and rebellion. The dove's dung speaks to us about not what we know that the dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit, but the dove's dung is a picture of where the Holy Spirit used to be. Some churches get stuck on where God, what God used to do, instead of what God is doing, and they were feasting on that. And the result was is that they sacrificed the next generation. They sacrificed the next generation because they did not have a now word from God. But I, as I stand here today, not only as a pastor, but as a father, I refuse to lead a church, pastor a church, and lead my home and sacrifice the next generation. We will hear from God and raise up a generation that is more powerful than we are, that will do more than we ever thought about doing. I wonder if I've got some people in the house today that say we will hear from God, if not for ourselves, at least for the next generation. Come on, give him praise if you're ready for that. I want my kids to go further than me. I want them to start where I left off. I don't want them to have to fight my devil. I want to beat some devils they don't have to fight. 
And so we're not going to sacrifice the next generation because we have a word. The word of God is so powerful that in the Old Testament, Jacob and Esau came out of the womb together fighting one another. And that fight continued until one day Esau was born first and he's, he's in line to receive the father's blessing. And we know the story. Jacob gets Esau to give him the birthright for a bowl of soup. But that wasn't enough because you had to have the spoken word or the spoken blessing. And so not only did he get the birthright from Esau, but now he had to take the next step to get his dad to speak the blessing over him. So he tricked his dad so that his dad would speak the blessing. And we know the spoken word is so powerful that the father, even though he thought he was speaking it over Esau, he actually spoke it over Jacob and could not reverse it because when God speaks a word, and this is for anybody who's ever gotten a word from God, when God speaks a word over your life, it don't matter what witch, what devil, what person, come on, what church member, what deacon member, what board member says that it won't happen. If God says it's going to happen, baby, you can bet your whole house on it because the word of God will not return void, but it will accomplish that which God has sent it to do. Give him a praise if you've got a word over your life. If you've got anything God has said over you. Man, I'm fired up just a little bit. When God gives you, watch this. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But watch this. The psalmist said that God holds his word above his own name. If at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, at the name of Jesus, demons tremble. But he says, I hold my word above my name. That means if you ever get a word from God, baby, it's going to happen. It doesn't matter what anybody else, if God gives you a word, that thing is going to come to pass. So powerful in the New Testament, Jesus meets this centurion man who has a servant who is sick. And um, Jesus says about the centurion in Matthew chapter eight, that this man had like the greatest faith he had ever seen. Now, I don't know about you, but if Jesus says that someone has the greatest faith I've ever seen, I wanna know why, right? I wanna know why would he say that about this individual. In Matthew chapter eight, starting in verse five, it says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now you gotta get this. He's telling all the religious people. This is all the church folk. That's part of the covenant to the Jews. Um, y'all don't have this kind of faith, but this Gentile does. This guy who's outside the covenant, don't even know the covenant, y'all know the whole Pentateuch, the whole first five books of the, uh, of the Bible by heart, you can quote it, but you don't have faith, but this Gentile 
has just showed up and demonstrated great faith. And in verse 13, it says, Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. I love this, this passage because a centurion is a, was a man who would be over about a hundred soldiers. That's what it, it meant to be a centurion. You, you were overseeing a hundred people and he has a servant who is sick. His servant is over here sick, not within proximity to Jesus, but Jesus is over here. And so he comes to Jesus and says, my servant is sick and Jesus offers I'll come to your house. Jesus was being a good pastor right here. I will come to your house and heal him. But this man says, you don't have to come to my house because I'm in the military. In the military, it's not dialogue. There's not dialogue. Like you don't decide in the military when you get up or when you go to bed or what time you eat. And if they tell you to do something, you don't say, well, I feel this way. There's no dialogue. You, you are under authority. You simply obey what you are told to do. And, and so the reason this is so important to grab hold of is because a lot of times we bring division because we don't understand authority. When there's a lack of understanding of authority, it brings division. The common theme of Matthew chapter 8, if you read it, the whole chapter, the context is about authority. That's what the chapter's about. Jesus taking authority over several things in Matthew chapter 8. It's even here where Jesus said, uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus wasn't saying, I don't have anywhere to sleep or I need a pillow. He was talking about authority. Jesus was saying foxes have their place of authority. Birds have their place of authority. But I have nowhere to lay my head. Head, headship speaks of authority. Jesus was saying I have nowhere to place my authority. And you may say, well, why, why is authority so important? Authority is important because authority brings unity. Somebody say that out loud. Say, authority brings unity. Man, we live in a generation that hates authority. Man, and a lot of people love authority until they get in church and somebody in church tells them what to do. Now we don't like it. And the reason you don't like it is because the enemy is the mastermind of division. Authority brings unity. Anytime we are outside of authority, what happens is division. What, 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 what is division? two visions, two different ways of doing it. Authority says this is how we do it. It brings unity. Listen, you don't walk into a classroom, at least I hope you don't, walk into a classroom at school and tell your teacher what you're going to do that day. How many know that's chaos? You, you don't walk into your company and tell your boss what's about to happen today. Why does authority bring unity? Authority brings unity because it, it gives us a decree that everyone can rally around. The centurion, in essence, is saying to Jesus, I get it. Like, I'm a man under authority, 
I have authority. I got people over me. I got people under me. I, I get it. And he's saying, I understand, watch this, I understand how to obey a word. I don't need you to come to my house and hold my hand. I don't, I don't need, you know, you to give me three points in a poem. I believe that if you will speak the word, my servant will be healed. See, the truest power of authority is to say something and it, and it brings change. You, you say something over here, but it shifts something over here. Listen, the reason we want authority is because when we have authority, a word can be spoken in this house and it shifts something in your house. I need somebody to take a praise break right there. We can get a word from God here, but it shifts something there. In Ecclesiastes chapter eight, verses one through three, it says, who is like a wise man and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the sternness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Verse three is very important. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Um, what the writer is talking about here is having, having an audience with the king. That, that when you have an audience with the king, the last thing you should be thinking about is leaving his presence. That once you have the audience of a king, I shouldn't be thinking about what time do we get out. Think about the amount of hours of preparation it takes for us to pull off one service. Not two, just one. All the little details, all the rehearsals, all, all the preparation, all the studying, all the praying, the showing up hours early to pray and intercede and prepare. And we do all of these things. And you even got up and took a shower. I hope. And you showed up here. And there's everybody has all this investment to get an audience with the king. And we are here and we have an audience with the king today. And some of us are thinking about what time's he going to shut up? Did I say that out loud? I didn't, did I? Why in the world would we go through all of these things? And that's why he says, don't be hasty to get out of God's presence. If we're going to see a move of God and we're going to see a revival to sweep across West Virginia and Virginia and around our state and the United States, if we're going to see that, then we got to take the time clock, clock off. We, we can't just say, God, you get 30 minutes. Even though you watched 14 hours of Netflix this week. You finished up seven different series in the, in, during the pandemic. But God's got 30 minutes to do it. Oh, it got quiet. I lost my amens. I, I lost, I mean, I lost everybody. We forget that on the day of Pentecost, when they were there with one accord, that they started with 500 people. But day after day went by and the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out and some people got to thinking, I need to get home. I need to get out of here. Maybe Jesus missed it. Maybe it'll come at a different time, a different season. So 380 people left, but the 120 that stayed were baptized with the Holy Spirit 
and they launched the church. And the reason we're here today is because of the 120 people that had an audience with the king that refused to leave. It's the only reason we're here. And it's important because verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 8 says, where the word of the king is, there is power. And that's the essence of my message. Where the word of the king is, there is power. Who is wise enough to understand it? When you get into the presence of a king, you don't run out of his sight because where the king is, there is power. Power to change your life. The king can say something in, in, in this place and change something over here. So, so powerful that when you, when you look at the scriptures, even the culture, let me, let me ask this. How many believe, because this is what the Holy Spirit gave me leading into the service, some of you are one word away from a turnaround. I, I don't mean like you need seven steps to a blessing or I, I mean like you're like one word away. Like you, you one word from God would drastically, man, I, I hear the change your season. That one word from God could, could shift your entire life. How many believe that maybe you're just one word away from a breakthrough. Anybody believe that for your, your life personally? I, I, love, I love this because the king and the kingdom, guys, this is not a democracy. God doesn't take a vote. He doesn't care what everybody's opinion is. Democracy is good for government, but it's not good for the kingdom because we have a king and he don't need a vote. And he don't need majority. And one of the things I love about God is that when he decided to bless me, he didn't check with you. It's, I'm not mean. That's not mean. When he decides to bless you, he ain't checking with me. Like he's not going to take a poll of what everybody thinks. When God decides to bless you, he ain't going to ask anybody's permission. When God says it's your time to be blessed, your time to be favored, your time to go up, he's not going to ask anybody. He doesn't care what anybody else says. He doesn't even care if people don't agree with it. God says, I'm God, I'm big enough, I'm bad enough. When I say it, it's done. And he doesn't have to check with people. Where the word of the king is, there is power. So this centurion believes. He understands authority. He's like, man, I, you, you got this. I know he's sick, but if you say a word, I believe he'll be healed. This culture understood this because Jesus was born into this culture as well. When Jesus was born, there was a, a decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that said that the whole known world had to be taxed. Now, you, you got to picture this. He had such power, and this is, this is an earthly king. He has such power that he could send out one decree and everybody had to not only pay taxes, how many, nobody was jumping up and down over this decree. Nobody was excited. And not only did they have to pay the taxes, but everybody had to pick up and go back to where they were born to pay them. So not only are you going to take my money, you're going to make me relocate and go on a six-day journey back to where I was born to give you my money. And he's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And everybody had to obey. And Jesus is in Mary's womb when this decree is given, given to everyone. And so Joseph took Mary, and she's pregnant with Jesus. And the point is, how inconvenient can it be? 
Like we're trying to bring this baby that's from heaven into the earth. We're trying to get this thing done. But now you want money and not just money, you need us to relocate to give you the money. How inconvenient can this be? I mean, have you ever gone on a road trip with a pregnant woman? I have. A long, long drive to Green Bay when Karen was pregnant with Elijah, our firstborn. And we happened to go with one of my friends who he's not like that anymore, and I'm not going to call his name out, but he was really cheap at that time. And so he would not run the air conditioner because it, it meant that he had to get gas faster. And it was a September game. It was still like 90 outside. And we're stuck in this little Jetta all the way to Green Bay. I never wanted to get outside of a car so bad in all my life. Not just for myself, but for Karen. She needed some air. Y'all feel me. And, And the point is, is that Joseph and Mary are inconvenienced, but through the inconvenience, a prophecy was fulfilled. Sometimes you got to realize that even if something is inconvenient, it doesn't mean that it's not God. Some of us think that every blessing is going to fall out of the sky. It's just going to fall in our lap. It'll just happen. It won't inconvenience me. But I have come to this conclusion. God will speak to me when it's inconvenient. He will demand of me when I don't feel like it. He will schedule a breakthrough for me when I've got other things to do. Listen, it's the responding to the decree, to the word of God that will guarantee my breakthrough. And God, just because it's hard or inconvenient doesn't mean that it's not God. He will show up at the most inconvenient times. Some of you, he will show up in the most, the most like you, you got all kinds of stuff going on and God will show up and ask you to do something uncomfortable. And you're thinking, I don't have time. Does God not see my schedule? Does he not know what I have going on? The scripture says, who is the wise man that understands the power of a word from God? This is the culture the centurion is living in. The culture he's raised in, he understood authority that we can have something spoken here and it shifts something over there. Apparently, this centurion had heard about Jesus, how that with a word, he could drive out devils. That with one word, the sick were made whole. And he had heard this, and so understanding authority, he simply says, Jesus, just speak the word. Just speak the word. In 2 Kings chapter 13, and I'm going to close out with this. Verse 14, it says, Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. So you got to get the picture. Tell the king, take the bow, the arrows, and now Elisha is putting his hand over top of the king's. 
And the, the, the indicator here is if God's hands ever get on what you're doing, great things are about to be accomplished. God's hands, Pastor Jay, is on what you're about to do. His hands are on what you're about to do. He goes on to say, and opened the east window, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance, deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. You must strike until you've destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows, so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground three times and he stopped. And watch this, this is where it gets like a weird turn. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Now this story is a little bit crazy because Elisha is about to die and the people of God were in trouble and the king comes to Elisha because they are in trouble. Because you know what? They want a word. They need a word. They need to know what is God saying. And so he starts taking him through this exercise of picking up a bow and picking up an arrow and Elisha, the man of God, is putting his hands over the king's hands. And I think really what's happening in this, this text is that the king is getting weary with all the theatrics. Like he just wants a word from God. And Elisha's got his hands on him. And how many know that the prophetic is weird sometimes? When God starts speaking, it can get a little weird. Sometimes God asks you to do something, you're like, I, I ain't doing that. Well, I hope you're happy living in that struggle. Because sometimes God will ask you to do something that's not convenient. And so he's going through the motions and it's almost like he's frustrated with having to do it. And the prophet says, well, pick up an arrow and take the arrow and strike the ground. And the king picks it up and he strikes the ground three times and the prophet is livid. Like you should have struck the ground a whole lot more. Because every time you, you would strike, it was a victory. Every time you would do that, it was another victory. But because you only struck the ground three times, that's all the victory you're going to get. See, there is a word from the king, and that word has power in it. Had the man understood, had the king understood ahead of time, the power of striking those arrows on the ground, I believe he would have bashed those arrows. I mean, he would have been like some maniac beating that thing a hundred times if he knew what was about to happen. Sometimes if you would just understand that God wants to speak to you, God wants to give you a word, but a lot of times what God is going to do and the breakthrough that's coming, it's on the other side of your obedience. It's on the other side of your next praise. It's on the other side of, of, of you getting past going through this half-heartedly. Like, like I, I'm just going to put half my heart in it. I'm going to go through the motions and I'm going to check another box. And, but, if you, but if you would really believe that your breakthrough could be on the other side of your praise, on the other side of your worship, on the other side of your clap, I, I wonder if we would move from golf claps and, you know, praise the Lord, everybody, and we would start clapping 
like crazy people and dancing like we've never danced before and praising like we've never praised before and worshiping like we've never worshiped before. If we knew that there was victory on the other side of our praise, I wonder what it would look like. I dare somebody to praise God in a way you don't normally praise him right now. Come on, do something you don't normally do. Do something you don't normally do. Come on, do, give God a praise. There is a word. And it, with the word of the king, there is power. The kingdom of God, listen to me, it's voice activated. If you stay silent, you'll never experience all God has for you. Now, there's some people sitting in here and they're thinking, it don't take all that. Well, you just stay there with your bad self. But if you ever really need God to move, I promise you, praising and clapping and jumping and shouting and running and dancing, some of y'all are like, just give me one of those arrows, I'll bash it. I'm saying we got to be willing to do whatever it takes in, in obedience and in response to a word that has been spoken over God. Bethesda Church, our best days are not behind us. Our best days are still in front of us. The greatest days of this church is not historical. The greatest days of this church is in the present tense. God has something he wants to do. And I believe given the pandemic and the last 18 months and everything everybody has gone through, and how many, how many would just agree with your path? People have gone crazy. If you don't believe me, just scroll Facebook. People are crazy. And we need a move of God in this generation. And I'm not talking about, you know, God, you got 30 minutes to do something. I'm talking about the kind of people who have an audience with the king and they ain't leaving till the king releases something. That God, we need a move of your spirit. I believe with all of my heart that revival will be our revenge. If you believe it, give him one more praise. One more praise. I'm done. I'm done. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? I want to speak. It was a beautiful thing. As you, as you bow your heads and close your eyes, I was on my way out of the first service, and, um, and there was a couple young kids here, and, and the, their mom grabbed me and said, hey, they, they want to give their life to Christ right now, and they want you to help them. And, and so on my way out of the first service, I had the, the privilege and the honor of kneeling down with the girl was probably between 12 and 14. The boy was probably eight, something like that, and led them to Christ right there on my way out of the first service because that is still the most powerful miracle. There's, there's nothing greater than someone who's lost being found. And so as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. If you're in this place, you say, Pastor, I'm not in relationship with Jesus, but I need to make some things right with God. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if that's you and you say, you know, that's me, Pastor, and I, I just need to get it right. I need his grace and forgiveness. Would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. I, I want to make thank you for that hand. God bless you. God, thank you for that hand. God bless you. See that. Anyone else? Anyone else would say, that, that's me. I don't want to miss anyone. Anyone else? I want us to pray together. At least two hands went up. Let's pray together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you 
in the name of Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself, so I humble myself. And I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise for those that are coming either into a new relationship with Christ or back into a relationship with Christ. Listen, we have uh, a table the back of the room, my left, your right. We don't really have a name for it other than if you get saved, we want to put a gift in your hand. There's balloons back there. You can see it. Um, we want to help you take your next step. During this last song, uh, we're going to open up the altars. We're going to pray for people. But if you made that commitment to follow Christ, there's a connect card in the seat back in front of you. If you would just take a moment, let us know who you are. You made a decision for Christ. And if you want to, just walk back to the back left of the room and, and somebody will be there. Somebody's back there now. I see somebody back there. They will help you and put a brand new Bible in your hand and give you your next step. I'm going to invite the prayer team and staff to come forward. And as they're coming forward, uh, I don't want anybody to leave because we're going to have a, a moment after this song. As you know, Pastor Jeremiah and Haley, are. Uh, this is their last Sunday. And so we want to send them off the right way. And we're going to do that, but we, we're going to do it after our prayer time. Um, it's going to be spiritually significant. All right, so don't go anywhere after this uh, time of worship. Can we give God one more praise today? Come on, give him one more praise. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bethesda Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting bethesdachurch.tv slash give. We will catch you on the next episode.